Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Bill Ginn. He is a business strategy consultant uh, who used to be the chief conservation officer at Nature Conservancy. He's also the founder of what's called NatureVest, which helps people invest in nature uh, for profits as well. He's come out with a new book called Valuing Nature, a handbook for impact investing. Welcome to the Money Answer Show, Bill. Hey, thanks, Jordan. Glad to be here. Just give us a, I gave you a brief idea, but just give us a brief history of your uh, work as it's come to this level today. Well, so for you know a long time, the Nature Conservancy has been focused on uh, improving the quality of nature across the world. And uh, a while ago, we came to the conclusion that just thinking about this as something that you can do from philanthropy alone, from charity, uh, was not going to be uh, sufficient in order to solve the immense problems that we face across the world. And so for that reason, um, we began to work with the private sector, uh, looking for ways to engage them in, you know, our mission, which is to protect nature across the world. Okay. So let's just start a little bit with the problem. I mean, people think about sure. climate change, but how is it really going to affect people? I mean, maybe hurricanes are a little bit worse, but what is the real-life impact on people with climate change and what's happening to nature today? Yeah, well, that's that's really the central question here. And let me first say that, you know, a lot of people, when you say nature, what they think of is a park or maybe they think about birds or tigers or elephants. And, of course, those are very important uh, parts of nature. But really what I'm talking about here are the fundamental natural systems that um, – really drive the world. And in every, every case, uh, we are experiencing some really serious uh, challenges. For example, fresh water. Uh, fresh water comes from nature, of course, uh, from rain, from uh, runoff. And fundamentally, you know, over a billion people in this world don't have enough of it. Uh, so that system is under great uh, stress. Soil for agriculture. We don't think of um, necessarily as agriculture as nature-based but in fact, everything that we grow is grown in the soils of this world. And those soils are decaying all across the world. We're using up the organic matter. We're depleting them. They're reducing in productivity. So that's important. The world's oceans uh, are under constant threat, not only from pollution, but from overfishing. More than 80% of the world's fisheries, for example, uh, are in the decline or already severely depleted. And over 2 billion people get some portion of their daily protein from the oceans. So that's a huge issue. So climate change, you mentioned that right up front. Uh, obviously, it's very important. You know, if you look at where people live you know, on this earth, uh, they live in places which have, you know, good rainfall, good um, soils for agriculture, uh, and as we see climate changing, those patterns of precipitation, those temperatures are, are changing as well. And that's changing how hospitable those places are to people. And, of course, we have things like sea level rising, um, which, you know, as we live mostly on the coasts of the world, 
those represent huge challenges for uh, literally billions of uh, billions of people. So all those issues are just huge challenges that face civilization, and they're not optional. It's not something well we can deal with it later, um, because already uh, we see the stresses uh, that are impacting the fundamental systems of productivity across the world. So I'd be very sad if there weren't elephants or tigers or biodiversity in that in that sense. But really, I'm talking about something that's much more fundamental and underpins all of those systems and are absolutely important to survival of life on Earth uh, by human beings. So most people would think these are massive issues. It's beyond anything I can do. This is something left to governments. We had the Paris Accord on climate change. We pulled out of it, but all the other countries of the world have agreed on that. So it's something that's done at the kind of big governmental level. Uh, you're, you're taking a different approach. You're saying this is something that the way people invest can actually have an impact on it. How is that realistic compared to it? It just seems like such a big problem for most people. Yeah, well, first, let's just say that, you know, government alone is not going to be able to solve this problem. I mean, the amount of money that government has, you know, even as we, you know, face the trillions of dollars that we're having to divert to address the pandemic, you know, we realize how fragile our ability to spend government money really is. So, if you really think about where the resources are to solve some of these problems, you know, you have to think about how we engage the private sector. And so my message is that in order to solve these problems, the, getting the private sector to be part of the solution is absolutely uh, critical. Now, that obviously includes individuals, you know, all, all, the, all the way to big corporations, you know, so if you're a small investor and you're sitting there and you're wondering what I could do, well, there's a lot you can do. I mean, you can buy a photovoltaic system for your house. You can use an electric car. Uh, you can walk rather than you uh, than 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 ride. You know, you can source your food from organic uh, sources that are reinvesting in the soil uh, of the world rather than depleting the soil of the world. So as an individual, you can take personal responsibility for this work. But uh, as, uh, as a business sector as a whole, this is an extraordinary opportunity. And it, you know, in my view, is one of the amazing entrepreneurial opportunities, inventing solutions to these problems and solving these problems is, in my view, at this, is sort of at the same scale as the Industrial Revolution. I mean, if you think about the industrial... Go ahead. Go ahead, Jordan. I'll just say, in your book... Go ahead. If you think about the Industrial Revolution, it was a time in which we changed, you know, all the sources of energy, how people worked and lived in cities, uh, and all those same conditions are actually uh, present today. In the next 50 years, we're going to change how we source energy how we transport, uh, you know, goods and services. Um, you know, we have to completely redo how we manage water, uh, how we grow our food. You know, it took us um, roughly 400,000 years of agriculture. Um, that's about 20,000 generations of farmers to create the food system that we have in the world today. That's how long people have been growing uh, food. 
in the next 50 years, we need to double the amount of food that we have available. So 400,000 years to get to where we are, and in the next 50 years, we have to totally transform how we grow food. These are not optional things. These are just fundamental to the reality that, you know, we have 7 billion people on Earth, and we're going to have 10 or 12 billion people on Earth, and we're already straining those systems. You talk in your book about the difference between donors and investors. I mean, typically what you're talking about is considered a charity, uh, like the Nature Conservancy where you worked for so long, that you, you, know, you give some money to a charity and they kind of take care of it. Uh, that this is not something that corporate America is going to really make any major impact on. What is the difference between shifting from a donor uh, approach to this to an investor approach to uh, tackle these problems? Well, I think the difference is it's where the resources are is in the private sector. So, you know, we need the private sector to be uh, looking at this as one of the greatest business opportunities in the history of the world and to get behind that uh, kind of investment and development. Without those resources there, you're darn right. There's no way that a charity can change how uh, the world functions. They can do research, they can demonstrate, but really, you know, we're talking about how you change, how you grow food, how you, you know, use cars, how you um, fish. All of these things are controlled by the private sector, and we need the private sector to be changing how they service those activities so that we can actually have an outcome that is sustainable for the entire planet. So for somebody in the private sector to want to go into this, it has to be profitable. Um, otherwise, they're not going to do it. Then it becomes a charity or a, a, hobby, a hobby of some kind. So and people yeah. would typically say when you do something that's profitable, it's more costly to do organic gardening is more costly than traditional. How can you make this transformation profitable so companies have a incentive to go and invest in this area? Well, you know, there's some great examples of, of where we have used public policy and incentives on the part of government to encourage people to invest in the things that we need to have them invest in. Let, let's take solar energy, for example. You know, solar today in most parts of the world is cost competitive with coal, with oil, uh, with conventional sources of, uh, of fuel. It didn't used to be that way. Um, it took public policy, tax credits in many cases, subsidies and grants to build the solar industry to the state that it is today. But it's arrived. And we now see that that investment is paying off because these renewable alternative sources of energy are cost competitive compared to the non-renewable sources of energy. So that's an example of a win. Let's take electric cars. You know, the most valuable car company in the world is not General Motors or, uh, or Ford Motor. It's Tesla, yeah. uh, the electric car maker. Um, so investors who are taking risks, who are entrepreneurs, uh, yes, in some cases we've made, you know, subsidies and incentives to encourage people to make investments uh, with them. Uh, in order to advance their, their causes, but they are showing the way. 
And it's kind of ironic, isn't it, that you have these big companies like Ford and General Motors um, who have less value today on the stock market than companies like Tesla who are basically startups. But that's what, you know, entrepreneurs are doing. They're transforming these systems, often, you know, at the expense of, uh, of companies who haven't been able to pivot as fast or, you know, haven't made the investments that's uh, required. And that's the great thing about the private sector is that they can be successful. Very good. We're going to take a break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest for this hour is Bill Ginn. He's a business strategy consultant. Uh, he was formerly at the Nature Conservancy, where he was chief conservation officer. Uh, he has also founded NatureVest, which is a partnership with private investors uh, that's invested over $200 million into conservation projects worldwide. And is also the author of a new book called Valuing Nature, a Handbook for Impact Investing. We'll be back after this. If you're a business owner, chances are now you're reevaluating the way you do business amidst the coronavirus pandemic. Establishing an online presence is not optional, it's mandatory if you're going to survive. Pivoting quickly is hard enough, but finding the people to make it happen can seem like a full-time job. Fiverr's freelancing platform helps you find the right talent to build your online presence fast. Finding the right freelancer can be time-consuming and frustrating, not to mention expensive. There are so many factors like how much will it cost? How much can you be sure they're going to deliver? Fiverr helps you hire freelancers with proven track records and clear pricing so you're never in the dark. Whether it's building your first website or designing social graphics to celebrate years in business, Fiverr connects you with talent you need to keep moving forward. I've used Fiverr several times, and the people I picked always came through at very reasonable prices. Just today, I found a website designer in Pakistan who helped me put together a website from scratch that's going to accomplish exactly what I need. I found a photographer in New York who is very professional and took a bunch of pictures of me that I'm now using all over my website. Fiverr connects businesses with freelancers offering hundreds of digital services. That includes graphic design, copywriting, web programming, film editing, voiceovers, and music. Find what you're looking for instantly so that you can search by service, deadline, price, reviews, and more. You know exactly what you're paying for up front. No hourly rates or negotiating. Payment is released to freelancers once you approve the work. Fiverr offers 24-7 customer service if you need help. They offer quality talent you can count on since sellers have worked for most of the most influential brands in the world, including Google, Netflix, and PayPal. Reviewer sellings and buyer feedback to select the right freelancer help you balance your budget. Find your talent today at Fiverr.com and receive 10% off your first order by using my code ANSWERS. It's so easy. Find all the digital services you need in one place at Fiverr.com and use code ANSWERS. Again, that's F-I-V-E-R-R.com, code ANSWERS. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. 
Many industries have been revolutionized by technology in the last decade. Books, music, TV, communications, and now it's happening to our money and the way we pay. Tune in to Breaking Banks with Brett King for a look at how technology and customer behavior will bring about more changes in banking in the next 10 years than in the last 200 years. Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific on Voice America Business Channel or on AM 1160 The Voice. You'll never look at your bank account the same again. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. This is Jordan Goodman of Money Answers, uh, the Money Answers radio show here. My guest this hour is Bill Ginn, a business strategy consultant who worked for a long time at the Nature Conservancy, and then he founded NatureVest, which is a partnership with private investors that's brought in over $200 million into conservation projects worldwide. He's the author of a new book called Valuing Nature, a handbook for impact investing, which is published by Island Press which you can hear about at islandpress.org. Welcome back to the show, Bill. Thank you, Jordan. So I want to talk about NatureVest a little bit. So tell us again what it was that you saw the need, need for this that wasn't being done before, and tell us a little bit about what it's accomplished since it was started. I guess it was in 2014 or so. Is that right? Yeah. So, you know, we, we have a problem here. You know, we talk about all these huge issues that are facing the world, from water to energy to loss of biodiversity, the loss of forests. And to solve for that problem requires billions, if not trillions, of dollars. Um, and in order to have an impact at a scale that really will matter to those problems, the Nature Conservancy, I think, wisely said, we have to think about where the money is and where we can create partnerships that will have an impact at a scale that will actually matter to these kinds of uh, these kinds of issues. So that was the genesis for thinking about uh, looking for formal ways to partner with the private sector. And to do that, we created a, an entity called NatureVest um, to formalize that uh, that work and make it a priority of uh, the organization. And um, it becomes now, you know, a major part of how we think about and operate our business is thinking about how we can create partnerships that leverage the private sector for the work that we think needs to be done. So you've got funding from J.P. Morgan Chase, the Grantham Foundation, and the Robertson Foundation. So big investors, kind of as a uh, donation. This is not a, a profitable investment for them. Is that correct? So I well, guess the question, if you're trying to do a profitable investment, can, is there any way individual investors can, can support the same causes through NatureVest, or are there other ways for them to follow the lead of these big companies? Well, so first, of course, yes, we, you know, the foundation investments came from um, big companies who I think saw the same vision that we saw, that, you know, like just take... J.P. Morgan, you know, they get 
they represent wealthy people across the world. Um, they have investors. And a frequent question they had is, can't I invest in something that will, you know, that will help save the world? You know, it seems like a simple question, maybe even a naive question, but there are a lot of people out there who are asking tough questions about, you know, I'm, by making my investments, by buying a mutual fund, by buying a, uh, you know, a stock or a bond, you know, is, is that, uh, you know, just making money at the expense of the world? And so they had a lot of issues and concerns uh, about how they transform their business uh, into thinking about um, services that would allow their customers to feel good about the investment work that they're doing. So they started with charitable donations uh, from their foundation, supporting this uh, idea, as did uh, the Robinson uh, family uh, and the Grantham family, both you know prominent investors, um, because they wanted to see whether or not we could attract private capital to these important impact-focused uh, areas. And I think the answer is, you know, definitely yes. I mean, we're now actually, since the book is written, up over a billion dollars of investments uh, around this general theme of investing in nature for uh, global outcomes, for positive outcomes for people, but also uh, in a way that will make returns for those investors. Because people, you know, they need to retire. They need investments for uh, for their 401k. They need other ways of investing uh, in, in, besides just giving money away for charity. And so creating platforms that people can invest is, is critical to getting the resources that we need in order to solve these problems. So tell us more about that billion dollars. Is this coming? This is investment capital. This is not donations. This is not charity. Exactly. Are these... Mutual funds, are these companies, are there ways individuals can invest to become part of that billion dollars? Uh, how, how does all that work? Yeah, so these are not, you know, retail investments where I can take, you know, $10 or $20 from my paycheck and put it into, you know, one of these uh, projects, sadly. I mean, that's work ahead, is how do we make, you know, the everyday investments that we make, um, you know, as individuals and not as you know, super wealthy people or as corporations be at the center of, uh, of the future here. So that's work that needs to be uh, done. But, you know, the investments are around things like water. Let me just give you a couple of examples. In the case of water, you know, around 80% and in some places as much as 90% of the water is used by agriculture. In a lot of those places... You know, the use of that water is not uh, very efficient. You know, there are better irrigation techniques, there's sensors, there's computers, um, and that requires capital investment. In most cases, if you're a farmer and you make those investments, there's no way particularly to recoup your investment because you don't take the water out of the river and flows down the river to, um, you know, your neighbor who says, thank you very much for giving me that extra water. And you may feel good about that, but who's going to pay for your high-tech irrigation system? So the investment in water is about investing in ways to increase the efficiency of our water use. And that's primarily about agriculture. And increasingly across the world, governments are creating water rights 
that are transferable and tradable. So a farmer can think about making an investment, improving the efficiency of water use in their farm, and then if they have extra water, sell that water to their neighbor or to a city. Um, So literally tens of millions of dollars are now flowing from funds that the Nature Conservancy has sponsored both in the U.S. and in dry countries like Australia to help farmers invest in improving the efficiency of their systems so that there's more water for everybody. And the return on investment for those members of those funds is by being able to trade that water to somebody else uh, and get paid for it. This is huge, and it's going to be absolutely central to the future of improving water use across the world is helping agriculture invest in efficiency. It pays for them, um, but it takes a, takes capital, it takes resources, and you need government policy to support um, the, the kind of market creation, if you will, that makes it worthwhile for those farmers to make that investment because when they make that investment, they're able to recoup it by selling those water rights to somebody else. So what we've essentially done is financing that transition to um, new water outcomes. One of the other things you talked about doing was creating replicable business models that are help up to the earth, but also profitable. Can you give me an example of a, a business model you helped to find that could be replicatable? Yeah, here's a great example. Um, we, we started a company in Washington, D.C., um, that is um, creating um, green solutions to stormwater runoff. Now, what is stormwater runoff? Well, when it rains in a city, all that water falls on pavements, and uh, typically it goes into sewers. The problem is that because it's such a huge flux of water at one moment, it just overwhelms our wastewater treatment systems in most parts of the world. And when it overwhelms those systems, um, they basically uh, have no choice but to, um, you know, open the treatment plant up and flood the natural waterways with polluted waters because there's no place to store the store the outcomes. So our theory was that um, you could invest in green infrastructure in cities, green parking lots that absorb. Um, uh, rain, rain, rainwater runoff rather than just shed it into a sewer. Green roofs, uh, I- I- improved parks that trap and store water and feed back into the groundwater. So our first uh, attempt at this was in Washington, D.C. Washington, D.C. has a unique feature of their stormwater law which says that every new business has to uh, make uh, provisions for stormwater falling on their business. Uh, and they also allow those businesses to make investments off their site. So, well, our business idea was simply this. Let's find places where collectively we could make major investments in reducing stormwater runoff using green uh, roofs, green parks, uh, and uh, thereby reduce the cost that these businesses would face to try to solve this problem on their premises uh, uh, alone. And uh, 
the result of that was DC Stormwater Inc., which is a neat little company. Uh, that's first projects have actually been in partnership with the Catholic Church. You know, if you think about churches, churches have, you know, huge parking lots that only get used a few times a week. Right. Um, they, they also have things like cemeteries and, you know, other places that, you know, have a lot of, um, you know, urban spaces used to buy those churches. So our idea was simply, let's go to these churches who are getting taxed, by the way, in all these urban areas by the amount of pavement they have and look for ways uh, to uh, transform their sites to be net absorbers of stormwater rather than a source of the problem. So the Catholic Church is our first partner here. They have a huge cemetery um, in just the right place in Washington, D.C., in the southeast of Washington, D.C., that's an old Revolutionary War cemetery. It's huge in size. And many years ago, to reduce maintenance, they did a lot of paving uh, and uh, eliminated a lot of grass. Well, it turns out that's exactly the worst thing to do. And so they need to rip up all of that pavement. They needed to install ways to trap green water and convert that site into uh, a place that absorbs stormwater. So what we did was, we, we invested millions of dollars to transform that site into a place that absorbs stormwater. And then we went to local businesses and said, well, look, you've got a problem. You've got to pay for your stormwater. But you could join us and buy stormwater credits through the system and be part of a green solution for your stormwater. And that's now a very successful business, and that concept is growing all across the U.S., people are thinking, wow, this is a double bottom line for us. We get to invest in creating parks uh, and greenways and more trees, and at the same time, we're solving a big pollution problem. What's not to like about that? So that's an example of a great little business uh, that has been founded in Washington, D.C., and is poised, I think, to grow across the entire country. Excellent. And by the way, two two or three other companies who've started doing exactly this thing, which is what's replicable. Excellent. We're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman, The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Bill Ginn. Uh, he was formerly the Chief Conservation Officer at Nature Conservancy. He founded NatureVest, which we were just talking about, and he's the author of a new book called Valuing Nature, a Handbook for Impact Investing. You can find out more about it at nature.org, or his publisher is Island Press at Island Press. We'll be back after this. Times are tough right now, but Harry's Razors are still here to help you look your best while saving you a little cash along the way. Harry's has your grooming needs covered with high-quality blades as low as $2 each delivered straight to your doorstep. I've been using Harry's Shavers and Shave Gel for about a month now, and I really enjoy the smoothness of the shave and the smell of the gel. I also find the blades last a lot longer than traditional blades while they cost less. I've switched to Harry's and signed up for a long-term subscription to get them automatically. Now you can join over 10 million men who've tried and loved the Harry's Shave. Claim your trial offer by going to harrys.com backslash answers to get a free trial set. Harry's is a return to the essential quality, durable blades 
at a fair price of just $2 a blade. Harry's cuts out the middleman by manufacturing blades in their German factory that's been honing blades for more than a century. That means you get incredibly high quality blades at factory direct prices. Blades are delivered to your door directly on your schedule whether you sign up for a subscription or not. In this particularly challenging time, you can feel a little bit better about your purchase because 1% of the proceeds of each sale are set aside for nonprofit organizations devoted to helping provide better access to health care for men and veterans. To support those who need it most right now, Harry's is donating $1 million worth of shaving supplies to hospitals across the U.S. Listeners to The Money Answer Show can redeem their Harry's trial by clicking on harrys.com slash answers. You get a weighted ergonomic handle with a firm grip, a five-blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, a rich lathering shave gel with aloe to keep your skin hydrated, a travel blade cover to keep your razor dry and easy to grab on the go. So go to harrys.com slash answers to start shaving better today. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Do you or someone you love have a life insurance policy that's no longer needed or not affordable? Did you know that you can sell your policy for cash? Your reason for buying life insurance has probably changed. Thousands of Americans turn to life insurance settlements to help sell their policies. They act as your representative, getting the highest market offer for you. You've got nothing to lose by simply inquiring. If you're over 64 with $100,000 or more of life insurance, you may already qualify. Call 877-485-6681 to get your free non-binding appraisal or visit FundingLife.com. Life Insurance Settlements. Discover the true value of your life insurance. 877-485-6681. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Bill Ginn. 
Uh, he was the former chief conservation officer at the Nature Conservancy, and he helped found NatureVest, which is a partnership with private investors uh, that has brought about a billion dollars into investment into conservation projects worldwide. He just came out with a new book called Valuing Nature, a handbook for impact investing, which you can find out about at his uh, the website for the publisher, islandpress.org. And the way to find out more about NatureVest is at nature.org. Welcome back to the show, Bill. Thanks, Jordan. So a very big trend these days is so-called ESG investing. I guess that's environmental, social, and governmental. How does that uh, move, and there's a lot of money moving into those kind of fields, how does that work along with what NatureVest is doing in this whole investing in nature idea? Yeah, I think it's totally supportive. I mean, you know, you've asked some really good questions about how you know, just ordinary people can uh, make sure that, uh, you know, they're doing the things that they can do uh, to put their money to work in ways that support nature and support causes that are important to them. And, you know, the way to do that is um, to understand uh, the companies that they're investing in and what their uh, ESG track records are. Almost every major corporation now is publishing uh, reports about what their uh, you know outlook is, what their impact on the world is, and it's an opportunity for all of us to get educated and to use our little marketplaces, you know, the stocks that we put in our pension funds uh, and that we buy for our you know kids' graduation, you know, college funds, to put that to work in ways that companies actually um, are uh, accountable for the impacts that they're having in the world. Now, just because everybody reports doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, the outcome is good, right? So you need to differentiate between people who are, you are reporting and people who are really making changes in their business to drive for, you know, the kind of world that we want to see. What kind of lessons should we take from the coronavirus, which actually started from wild nature, from, I guess, wild animals at that farm in Wuhan, or the market in Wuhan, and spread around the world, and has killed hundreds of thousands of people, and all of the devastation it's done. What can we learn from the spread of the coronavirus about your movement for investing in nature? Well, a couple of things. I mean, first, you know, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, you know, the origins of this was the wildlife trade. Um, so... You know, if we weren't um, illegally trapping and, uh, and and using wildlife for these purposes, and even China now has banned these practices, if we weren't doing that, then we would dramatically reduce the risk, not only improve biodiversity and uh, the natural environment for these species, but also, you know, do something for ourselves. So addressing the wildlife trade, you know, will help uh, future uh, reductions in these animal vectors. The second thing that I think is important, and this is really the over point, I guess, is that these are global issues. And you could argue that the decline in water, fresh water, the decline in the world's oceans, these are slow-moving pandemics that are actually going to have profound impacts on the future of the world. We've got a little bit more time. Not many, not many years, but we do have time. It's not months. You know, we've got time to turn the climate situation around. We've got time to address water issues. 
we have to treat them seriously, and we have to do the things that are necessary in order for us to be successful there. So, uh, to me, it's it's a kind of an early warning and a reminder that global things can impact the world. We are so interconnected now. The climate is interconnected, um, uh, and the way people move is interconnected. Our economies are interconnected, and so we're foolish not to recognize that all of the issues around nature's systems um, are just as important to the future of the world, and we've got to do the right thing around investing in their sustainability and in new ways of engaging with nature if we're going to avoid just catastrophic problems for all of civilization. One of the arguments always against uh, doing these sustainable is that it's going to cost a lot of jobs. If you get rid of coal mines, you're going to wipe out all of West Virginia and all the coal miners, um, and that you're going to lose more economically than you're going to gain some small incremental improvement uh, in the environment. Um, you have to kind of put a financial value on ecosystems, but and people say that's going to harm the economically vulnerable more than it's going to help them. What is your response to that? Well, there are already uh, 10 times more people in the United States employed by the solar industry than there are coal miners. Last I checked, there were only 80,000 coal miners in the entire United States, and there are hundreds and hundreds of thousands of new workers who are working on wind towers, on uh, solar energy, and, and, the, and the like. So some of the best, you know, opportunities for job creation are in these new technologies. Think of the thousands of people that Tesla now employs in their factories. Think of the follow-on opportunities with their new battery plant. These are all great new job creation, and we need to pivot our economy. You can't save certain types of you know, um, industries who are not, who are not fundamentally sustainable. That's just the reality of the world. So change is hard, and I feel for the impacts on individual people. Um, but you know, you just can't um, continue to do things that are fundamentally at odds with the survivability of the rest of the world. So it's about us all, you know, taking the steps we need to transform our economy. And that will mean some dislocation, and that's the role of government. I mean, let me give you one example of this that I think is, is important uh, to, for us to be sobered about. M- many of you might recall that in France they've had uh, this, what's called the Yellow Shirt Movement. Yes. Uh, there's been a lot of protests in, in, in France. Because um, they were raising taxes for, for carbon taxes. Raising, raising taxes on energy. Right. This was part of France's plan to reduce the dependence on gasoline and thereby reduce uh, climate impacts. Uh, you know, unfortunately, when you increase the price of gasoline, you know, who gets hurt the most? All those poor people who have to commute long distances to their jobs in the city center because they can't or afford truck drivers to or other people depending on in- gas, correct. Right. Yeah, exactly. So all, all of that impact is is significant on on those people and they you know rightfully said look i mean you're trying to solve this climate problem on the backs of the poorest people in france so this is what can go wrong okay um if you don't you know pay attention to the safety net 
and you don't say, well, how can we, you know, um, incentivize people to, you know, use less gasoline in a way that doesn't, um, you know, undermine their sustainability of their of their of their lives. And yeah. so, you know, we have to solve the climate problem, but when we do it, we need to make sure that, um, you know, we have subsidies so that people can buy more efficient cars or people can buy more efficient cars. Uh, we need to have subsidies that take some of the money that we collect from these extra taxes and bring it back to poor people so that they can offset the or increased cost. This is about how we, you know, execute on the public policy around these issues. And yeah. this will be the issue in the U.S. You know, when we impose a carbon tax, as ultimately we're going to have to do to incentivize people to shift away, we have to do it in a way that puts that money back into the hands of people who have been most impacted um, and unfairly not due to any action on their own. They're poor. They have a long way to go in a car and transport. And, you know, we have to help people make that transition in order for the world to be uh, successful in addressing climate change. It's the same with coal miners. You know, you know they need jobs. They have families. It's important. Um, you know, it's not going to be in coal much longer. Uh, and, you know, the reality is the reason why the coal industry has declined is that it's not competitive with solar. It's not competitive with wood. Uh, it's dirty. It's got a lot of waste attached to it. And, you know, the big electric utilities, not because, you know, we told them to do so because it was important for the environment, they're shifting away from coal because it just doesn't pay. It's just not, you know, a viable source of energy anymore because of the cost of it. Well, you know, we need to acknowledge that and we need to do what we can to help people um, who are going to be impacted by those things. That's the social safety net that's going to be important in making, um, you know, the public care about this work. Very good. We've got to take another break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour, Bill Ginn, is a business strategy consultant. He was at the Nature Conservancy as chief conservation officer, one of the founders of NatureVest, uh, the author of a new book called Valuing Nature, a Handbook for Impact Investing. You can find out at their website of the, the publisher, islandpress.org. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. Are you a homeowner tired of making monthly mortgage payments with little progress towards paying down your principal? Does paying off your home in five to seven years without making larger or more frequent payments sound appealing? Paying off your home in full in five to seven years is really possible thanks to Truth and Equity's Mortgage Equity Optimization System, a money management approach that puts your money to work for you 24-7. If you own a home with some equity, have a decent credit score and verifiable income, you owe it to yourself to learn more about Truth and Equity's program. There's no need to replace your mortgage or refinance in many cases. The system works for new home purchases as well as current mortgages. Your home is your largest investment. Own it outright in five to seven years. Call Truth and Equity, 888-262-5540 or visit truthandequity.com, 888-262-5540. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. 
You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Bill Ginn. He's the founder of NatureVest, also the author of a new book called Valuing Nature, a Handbook for Impact Investing. Welcome back to the show, Bill. Thanks, Jordan. Glad to be here. Let's, let's go to two examples. Fisheries. What has been some examples in using investment to make fisheries more efficient and still be profitable? Yeah, so, you know, I mentioned at the beginning of the show that, you know, the fate of the world's oceans is really under enormous pressure and fisheries are declining everywhere across the uh, across the world because we're overfishing, we're not using sustainable practices uh, to harvest um, the food from the ocean that we need. Uh, and we need it for people uh, for the long run. So a few years ago, the Nature Conservancy um, had the opportunity to purchase uh, the ground fishing licenses um, that uh, uh, in along the California coast. And in a relatively short period of time, we acquired the fishing rights um, for a substantial portion of the fishery. We became the second largest owner of those rights. Now, a lot of people, because it was the Nature Conservancy, thought, well, they're just going to take those rights and they're going to, you know, make it into a park. Well, there's a couple of problems with that. You know, one is, you know, you need to, we need to transform the fishing industry, not eliminate it. Uh, and... Uh, these rights, if you don't use them, expire, and someone else, you know, can apply for them and take them up. So we set on a much different and I think bolder course, which was to go back to the fishing industry and say, I'll tell you what, now that we own these licenses, we would like to lease them to you at a low cost, but we'll do so only if you're willing to fish sustainably. Uh, and that ended up in an enormous conversation with all these fishing communities who initially were suspicious of our motives, uh, but, you know, they're businessmen too, and they looked at the licenses that we were offering and the strings that were attached to them, you must fish sustainably. And uh, we ended up um, with a number of really important partnerships in communities all up and down the California coast. And over a period of about 10 years, we have completely transformed that fishery to a high-value fishery, one that fishes around sustainability uh, principles uh, that collaborates and works together uh, in order to maximize the value of the fishery while they are operating it in a sustainable way and selling their products, by the way, at a premium because they are sustainable. So it was by partnering with the private sector that we were able to help them transform themselves rather than just putting them out of business. And we think that's an example of how you can pivot. And let's talk about agriculture as well. What have you done in the agriculture area to make that more sustainable? Well, it's really an important area. And, you know, we need just let me give you just one example. This is a global example. Um, much of the soybeans of the world are, are grown in places like the Amazon Basin. And um, many farmers have historically gone in and cleared uh, sections of the Amazon in exchange 
you know, for more uh, for more fields. But they have a problem in that they need capital and they need, you know, seeds and fertilizer and the like. So we created a joint venture with uh, a major European bank and with Bungie, who is one of the uh, principal buyers of soybeans, to provide ready credit to farmers in the Amazon basin. But the, that credit had loan covenants or restrictions on it. That restrictions included they can't use the money for and they can't operate in such a manner that increases the amount of um, rainforest um, harvesting that they already conduct in their business. So by using basically conditions on loans, we are sending a powerful economic message to those uh, to those farmers. If you want credit, if you want to have money for seed and fertilizer to expand your operations, then you have to utilize um, best practices, and that means you know not clearing more rainforest, but improving your productivity. So it's yeah. just one example of how using the financial system loans. We're able to transform how agricultural actually operates. Excellent. In about two minutes we have left, are you overall optimistic or pessimistic about the, the value of these impact compared to the size of the problem uh, in the, the globe? You know, I, I think this is one of the greatest business opportunities in the history of the world. We are going to transform how we use energy. We're going to transform agriculture. We're going to transform how we use water. These are fundamental, um, you know, opportunities. And I think entrepreneurs around the world are already waking up to the fact that um, this is a big opportunity for them. So I'm optimistic. I think that the private sector is not only going to see these opportunities, but they're going to prosper. And there will be new businesses, new opportunities, new ways of doing things that will be more profitable than the past and that will be the result of the kind of invention and entrepreneurial spirit uh, that comes in the private sector. So I'm optimistic. I think it's the right way to go. Very good. It's good to end on an optimistic note. My guest this hour has been Bill Ginn. Uh, He was formerly the uh, um, chief conservation officer at the Nature Conservancy. He helped found NatureVest, which is a partnership with private investors that has brought in over a billion dollars into investment in conservation projects, like he's talked about. And he's the author of a new book called Valuing Nature, a Handbook for Impact Investing. Uh, That's published by Island Press, which you can find out about islandpress.org. Thanks so much for being on the Money Answer Show. I think people learned a lot, Bill. Thanks, Jordan. My pleasure. Thanks again. We'll be back next week with another edition of the Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.